0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code ABSURDITY at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity, and I am joined once again by Tony, my soon-to-not-be-creditless co-host, because we're going to be making some changes to the website soon, and Tony will be listed on there finally. But uh, without further ado, Tony, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, no. Uh, it only took me what fifty episodes. I'm, um, I'm, I'm. What's the word where you 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 feel um, like not justified, but like uh, vindicated? I feel vindicated. That's how I. Feel. That's how I'm doing. Vindicated. I am selfish. I am raw. I am really happy because Brooklyn Nine Nine is back on the air. And mm. I would like to point out that I am one of the Twitter people that went crazy when it was canceled and was like, somebody needs to pick this up." I'm giving most of the credit to like Mark Hamill and Sean Astin and Lin Manuel Miranda, but I was also in that group. So <laughs> thank you,
1: verified Twitter celebrities. We appreciate you for we, Bro- you Brooklyn Nine Nine.
0: If nothing else, that app has given us Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I am grateful for it. So it's true. Well,
1: it it is resurrected and 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 kept and let us keep Brooklyn Nine Nine. Absolutely. Um. So, Tony, you want to know what's really funny, uh, and we're yeah. gonna reveal a little secret that happened to us last week. So, last week, he, Tony, and I kept having a ton of uh, connection issues, and like probably for fifty percent of the episode, we could only hear a portion of what we were say of we, what we each yeah. were saying,
0: if and we were low. yeah yeah
1: if that we were guessing, <laughs> we were straight up guessing what the other person was saying. And here's the cat. Here's the kicker. No one noticed, or at least if they noticed, no one said anything to me. Yeah. Um, they yeah. just figured we were both on like a different page slightly. And we were just trying to harmonize everything. But in reality, we were taking wild no stabs in the dark. I
0: think this is where he was going with that. I hope it, he did. It's like, and so what I would do is like deliberately say things kind of like on the other end of the spectrum from where you were. Because I'm like, if there's any overlap, it's going to sound ridiculous. So I would be like, well, I disagree completely. Like, I'm way over here. Because I'm like, he definitely won't be here. Like, I just specifically <laughs> went to areas you weren't on the court yeah. to be like, just pass me the ball, bro. Like I don't, I'm making space for us.
1: <laughs> well, and that's actually, I think that's a really good point that you bring up that I don't think people realize is sometimes that you, you and I are arguing positions that we don't necessarily hold. Um, yeah, mainly sometimes it's for the sake of conversation. Sometimes for, it's for the sake of representation. Uh, and, and that line is hard to draw cause we don't always say when we're doing that, but it is worth noting that sometimes our more extreme positions
0: are not always our own. Yeah. Um, and that, well, uh, and, I mean, I think the other thing is like, it's not like we kind of plan it out to be that way. Like we, we talk about like our process is more where we discuss kind of the theme, the topic and our mindsets behind it. But then when we get into specifics, it's, it's a little bit more organic like that. So sometimes, um, for me, like when I sense that you're kind of taking this kind of a position, I'm like, all right, well, let's see it from this point of view. And it's not like staged or fake. Like it's still very authentic to what I'm thinking. I'm just like I wouldn't necessarily like it's a it's a real conversation that we actually have had yeah. multiple. I mean, I think that's how we became friends is like because we could sit around Red Robin and just like discuss these kind of alternating points. Oh yeah, but it does Absolutely. it's not it's it's not hyperbole per se, but it's it's like playing the devil's advocate a little bit. Like if we go to more extremes. I was talking with somebody who's a very very close friend of mine, um, and it was specifically about the NAD episode, and they're like, "You really." came across as harsh and i'm like i know and i felt really bad and um they're from africa and and they were saying like you know a lot of these people do this this, and And i go no you're absolutely right like i i was i was coming across to make a point like that was more emphasis but you're absolutely right like the the people there and and i and i go it's i i worry that sometimes we forget that when we talk about these ideologies and concepts like inside all of us like both of us is we care about the people like we care about the people more than the concept um but sometimes you have to bring up that concept especially when we're talking about like these big ideological statements that people are making um because they're forgetting about the people you know what i mean yeah. like they're taking the human element out of it when they say certain things so it's like all right well we're going to respond back in kind of that same tone not necessarily at that level but it but it's like yeah we're we're a little bit too we, we sometimes go a little further than we would in real life because it, it, what doesn't sound good and what doesn't make for conversation is, uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to echo. I want to echo that. Yes. Really and echo. Your yes. Echo. And yeah. yes. And, um, no, I agree by the way, Tony, I'm really impressed because for the last minute and a half that you've been talking, you've said two complete sentences and, uh, I'm just really impressed because through all of that and all of like the random positing and jumping, it made perfect sense. I'm really, really impressed with that.
0: I do a really good job of creating a narration to where nobody knows where I'm going. And then at the last minute, just like curving it so that it makes sense. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like the Christopher Nolan of podcast conversations. Yeah, I really I, no, hope I'm Christopher very, very Nolan impressed just with it, you. I really hope he doesn't have. A podcast, because then it'll be like, no, Christopher Nolan is the Christopher Nolan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um of advent, I'll have to be more specific.
1: So there is um I, I, I'm excited about today, and actually I, I think there's a good kind of uh segue into this conversation and it will likely come up again soon. So yeah. uh just just know that like like what I'm about to talk about for the next probably two to three minutes. Uh, is something that will come up again most likely because I'm interviewing soon. I'm interviewing two people that were directly involved with uh, uh, this portion or this part of my life uh, oh. when it all happened. But um, so if if uh, if you've seen my Facebook or Instagram story over the last week, right? We're recording this on January 13. I think I posted it on Wednesday morning. Uh, something and, like that, yeah. Uh, I posted a really long Facebook post and then I screenshotted it into my Instagram story, and it was an apology. Uh, and basically what it explained was, uh, that when my dad died, uh, it was my senior year, a whole significant list of tragedies happened to me during my senior year. And then I transitioned into college and like life was, I was in my senior class play. I was doing all the senior class trips and things. Uh, I was in dual enrollment classes. And the reason I say all those things is, uh, because I never had time to grieve and I never knew I needed to take time or how to take time or anything like that. And uh, so I never actually learned how to um, process. I never learned how to process it. And what ended up happening was, and it actually started two days after my dad died, before even any of the other tragedies uh, had happened to me, uh, was that grief manifested itself as uh, dark humor. And it was dark humor as an attempt to seize control of my grief and my circumstances. It was this idea that uh, I wasn't going to let something that I had no control over control my life and my reactions. If I can't control my circumstances, then I can control how I talk about this. And so it manifested itself as dark humor, because if I can laugh about something instead of cry about it, then I absolutely will. And this is an insecurity I have. If you ever try to compliment me, if you ever try to like be really serious with me, chances are I'll deflect it somehow with humor. It's just kind of who I am. But those jokes, while a lot of them legitimately in their own right and objectively were funny, um, and I do not, I do not, I hold no apology for the hilarity of those jokes. Uh, I have, uh, an apology for, um, how I use them. And so I apologize. Basically, uh, basically what I would do is I would make dead dad jokes. Like, I'm just going to be straight about it. I would, it wasn't really,
0: really, really, really dark. Yeah. Really,
1: happened. really dark ones. Like, Oh, someone's dad called them in front of me. They're like, Oh, hold on. My dad's calling. And I'd be like, Oh, I wish my dad could call. Uh, like it would be stuff like that. And, uh, and I would do that to friends, close friends. Sometimes I would do it to people who I didn't know so well. Other times friends would join in and, uh, like be after a while and still two very, very close friends. We can, I can joke around like Tony, you and, and, and in our group, I can, we can still kind of make some of those jokes, uh, with each other, but Uh, The reason that I bring that up and I'm so transparent about that is basically what ended up happening was I was projecting my own insecurity and my own hurt and my own shame and guilt onto other people. So instead of inviting people into my own grief, instead of inviting them into the uncomfortable feelings that I had, instead, I literally forced it onto them. And so I'd make this joke to someone or I'd make a joke to someone and, you know, they never even gave me permission uh, There were a lot of people where they kept telling me to stop and I would keep doing it and uh, until they kind of got on board and uh, this was not OK. Like, let me be. I'm not sharing this because I'm proud of it. I'm sharing this because uh, I think we use social media and even podcasting as a way to talk about the things that are good in our lives. And I'm not ever fully up front. And what made me realize uh, there were times where I would do it and I knew that it was wrong. I knew that what was happening was bad and I needed to stop. And yet I couldn't. And that actually sent me down like a shame spiral where I felt like I had even less control than I did at the start because now I didn't even, I couldn't even
0: control my own reaction.
1: And um, so made an apology about well, I think, it. I think
0: it's the other thing is like when you, when you know that you're doing something that probably isn't okay, you can either like admit it and face it or you can double down. And I think it was just too close. It was too raw. So you would just double down. Yeah. And it just seemed like when someone was offended by it, you almost got this like, like, like your posture would like change, and you're like, I'm going to keep making the dead. I'm going to brute un- force this until until, they're until comfortable you with get it. it, which which is a way of doing it to where it was like, oh okay, you become desensitized to the fact that you know your dad is dead, and um, not like that all dads, you know what I mean? Like it's not yeah, like yeah, over, yeah, yeah. but like you're you, they became used to the fact that okay, his dad is dead, and and to a degree. I mean, it's not like you were okay with it, but it was like, okay, this is kind of how you've managed to like yeah. work through it. Like, Oh, okay. Becker makes dead dad jokes. And, um,
1: well, and yeah. that was, that was something that like what, what finally spawned me on to, to apologizing about it was um, two actual stories that were told to me one by a mutual friend of ours uh, who brought up the fact that she hung out with a former student of mine who apparently I think, I don't know, I w- cause I never would have made these jokes to a complete stranger But I think this student walked into the room as I made one of these jokes to someone I knew, and she was so horrified by it that she kind of avoided me the rest of the year. And I worked as a staff member. And so um, I never knew why I never connected with her. And now I know why. Um, So that was one. And two, I had a friend of mine who told me just last week that uh, that people when, when, when people first found out that he was friends with me or that he knew me, they would warn him about me. Um, they would actually straight up say, like, be careful because he keeps making these these jokes or whatever. And so I realized, like, um, I think it's time that while, while over the last couple of years I've done a lot to rein in that that behavior. Um, I think it's time that I actually make a statement about this, because there's no way for me to go back to every single person who ever heard a joke and apologize. Um, I, I just don't know everyone who, who overheard something or who said something. So I put a blanket statement out there. There's a um, lot. Yeah. So, um, there, there yeah, yeah, there are. And, and like, that's not okay. Right. That behavior is not okay. I understand it's yeah. understandable to some degree why it happened, but it's not okay. And it was definitely a character flaw and weakness in me hundred percent. But the reason that I, I talk about that today is not just to be in line with that or not to be in line with my Facebook post or anything, but it was this idea that I was projecting my guilt Onto to other people. I wasn't in right. yeah. my grief. I wasn't inviting them into my life. I was actually forcing them to experience it alongside me without their permission. And uh, that uncomfortable, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate this. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I made people feel. And it was this idea that, yeah, what I feel, everyone has to feel around me. Misery loves its company. Um, so today we're talking about, if you haven't guessed by the title, I always say that. I don't know why I say that. But, um, you know, we're talking about projection this idea that in in Christianity specifically we do this a lot but i think we do this in general um but that we project um we project our own issues our own baggage our own sins onto other people and this causes a ton of issues so tony i have been talking for the last 5 minutes give me give me some thoughts <laughs> on uh yeah. on projecting
0: um so just so everyone kind of is aware let's do our kind of traditional blanket statement of what we think projection is. Oh, yeah, so Um, our
1: operating definition for the episode. Yeah,
0: this is our operating definition for the episode. So it's kind of the basic standard psychology um, or psychological definition, which is um, projection is when you have an emotion or a habit or a weakness or anything that you experience, and you take that and you put it on somebody else. Um. And that can be expectations. It can be uh, romantic feelings. It can be fears. It can be, you know, I've had a, i have had I had, I have, I guess we're still acquaintances, but I had a friend um, and we've kind of lost that touch, but like his mom was so afraid of things. She literally projected her fear onto him and she's like, oh, you're afraid of this. And he's like, I'm afraid of this. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like I would see him and be like, no, you're not like you're afraid of it when you're aware that that thing is around. Um, but not like I would, I would watch. So, so and I, I don't want to get too much into details, but it was like, it was a very common kind of thing that most, like some people are afraid of. Like it, it makes sense. It's kind of a, a dangerous thing, but it wasn't something, it's like something that we all do. Um, I guess I can kind of say it, like driving at night, like, oh, he's really scared of driving at night. And I'm like, no, if you're scared of driving at night, like I've seen you drive in the dusk. I've seen you drive at night. Like if you're not paying attention, you're fine with it. Like people who are scared to, to drive at night, don't drive at night, like at all. Yeah. Um. And that was only one example, like a bunch of stuff like that happened. And it was like, there was, oh, like I'm, I'm scared of this. And I'm like, no, you're not that's you're somebody else projecting those fears onto you. I've seen that happen with rom- romance and romantic. I've done that myself with romantic feelings where it's like, Oh man, we're doing this. We're doing that. I think they're really into me. And then someone else would come up and be like, I don't think they're into you. Like, I think you're projecting that on, yeah. onto them. Um, but for the, the purposes of this particular, um, episode we're specifically going to talk about this idea of projecting our sins and weaknesses and fears um kind of the negative stuff and it can be positive we can talk about the positivity but i think it's also something that um, comes from a a place of fear we project because we we cannot handle it with ourselves which is so it's so Apropos that you kind of bring up your idea of your your dead dad because you would project your insecurities and your coping mechanism with your dead dad on yeah. other people. Can I just and point out that kind of you say
1: that you said my dead dad as if I have other dads that aren't. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, I you have like funny. you have father. I have, figures. I have I have father figures. That's correct. Um, no, I I uh, I think you you brought up romance, and I think this is a really good one. You we know the person I'm about King. to mention. Um, it's true. We do all have Greg King. Uh, you know, the person I'm about to talk about, but this person, when I was dating her would constantly accuse me of texting other girls or talking to other girls or potentially liking and being interested in other girls. And then all the time she would come back to me and tell me, Oh, I reconnected with someone and I, you know, I think I like them and I, and and, like we're dating, (laughs) like we're dating and she tells me this, but like she would always accuse me of liking someone else. Uh, I think, uh, that that was a form of projection, right? This idea that I'm projecting my own behavior onto you so that I can ignore my own. I think the other uh the other form of projecting was uh I, I think we see this a lot with cheaters, right? Um it's almost it's almost like a rule of dating now that if someone accuses you of cheating out of nowhere, it's probably because they're cheating. Uh or they might cheat. It's almost a rule that's how common it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Like and so they're trying to they're trying to find something wrong in
0: you before
1: you know, uh, you find out what's wrong with them. Or they
0: recognize, like, you start to see, because that's the other thing, is, like, projecting is very rarely a solo event. Like, you very rarely have, like, this, um, like, it doesn't just come on its own. Like, there's other stuff. And so you'll start to see these false flags uh, because you have, like, all this other guilt and shame and stuff. And so you start projecting that onto the other person because you start recognizing things like, oh, I've done that before. Why would you? And it's like, no, I'm trying to, like plan your birthday party. Like, don't look at my text messages and they're like, why? Cause you're talking to and it's like, or I love you. I, what?
1: Like, yeah, why? Well, and, and, and even on a simpler level, like I dated someone who, if she didn't respond within 20, 30 minutes, then I knew something was wrong and it made me insecure about, you know, like immediate responses to text messages. And then I date another girl later, I get into a new relationship and she doesn't respond for a while. And it's just cause she was busy. And I had to learn, like I was, every, I would, panic and I would freak out and I would treat the relationship as if I had done something wrong the next time that we talked because I would project what my what my ex would do to me onto my current relationship yeah and uh, so projection is really subtle it's really dangerous it causes a ton of problems and so what we I think what we've tried to do here is give a lot of external examples of it outside of faith just simple ways that people can go oh okay now I get what you're talking about that's what we're hoping you yeah. understand yeah uh, so I think for me projecting sins is this idea of uh of what's bad for me is bad for everyone. Uh this yeah. my this weakness
0: weak- is your weakness.
1: Yes. Uh which which essentially means that if I shouldn't do it, you shouldn't do it. And uh we see this in pretty much any man-made tradition. Uh we or or any sort of uh I think music is actually the most obvious one. Yeah. Uh
0: M- when I music was- well yeah. And and yeah, but me mu- mu- I said music and food, but yeah, go ahead.
1: No, yeah, I agree with food too. Uh music is one of those things where I remember when I was sitting with some church members once, and I won't say where or who, uh but I was sitting with church members once and they were talking about not liking uh contemporary music. And they were saying uh one of them had, had said I'd been to Elevation one time and you know, I just you know, the bass and the the speakers were so loud my my stomach was rumbling, my ears were uh, you know, you know, it was so loud. I had to cover my ears or wear earplugs. All this, and it's like there's no way that that's that's holy. And what they were doing was they were projecting their own dislike or distaste, right? They were they were projecting their own preferences uh, onto the entire genre of music, and even outside of that, uh, they would say that like there's no way that's holy, right? There's no way in general that that could be a good thing. That was their conclusion because of how it made them feel. Was idea so and i find that funny because then i read like revelation where every eye will see and every ear will hear the trumpet call of god when that's he a, comes that's a right? loud like it's that's funny that's loud that <laughs> one of
0: the only specific books where it specifically or one of the only books rather where it specifically mentions silence is in revelation where it's like there's a specific period of silence i want to say it's revelation eight um don't quote me I should I took the class, like you think I should know this anyway. Um <laughs> but yeah, like in Revelation there's a specific time of silence, and I'm like, yeah, because they have to mention that because every other moment in Revelation is this loud event. Like it's there's just noise happening all the time. And it's hard to kind of get that when you're reading it from a Bible, but like if you actually go through the text and like read through it, it's it's a loud book. Um yeah. No, I and, agree. That's, it, and most of it's music. Like most of it is musical. They're either singing or they're playing instruments or they're like crying out, which is kind of a like the, the, the way that I understood that and the way that it was taught to me is that this ca- crying out is similar to the prayers that um, the Jews, the, like Jewish people even do today. Like that's the culture is to cry out in a song to yeah. God um, in a prayer like their prayers are sung. In in the Jewish culture, so it's like yeah, like everything is this incredible. Um, man, well, it is and I Revelation wanna, well, hold eight. On. I have I have my my super um, oh. <laughs> super assistant Floyd Harmon here. Yeah, Revelation eight verse one. Oh, I nailed it. Oh, yeah, you I did nailed nail it. it. Wow, well done. Uh, um, I'm so proud of myself. Also, thank and, you to and Floyd. Shame. Yeah, Floyd's the um,
1: best. We need to get Floyd on this podcast at some point, just for the sake of his voice. Well, just, the only
0: just. The only reason I haven't is because he did a a, a interview with uh, disruptive adventism recently, and I was like, I didn't want to oh, compete, gotcha. but I'm like, we're going to get him on.
1: Yes, I would love to hear his experiences. So, so um, I think uh, I I want to be fair too. I on the other, on the flip side of the example I gave, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen people project their dislike of hymns and hymnal music onto uh, onto church as well. Uh, yeah. And saying like, oh, I've sat in, in hymns and it's all creepy or the lyrics are super complicated. And, you know, there's just like that. That just seems like there's no energy, you know, and we project our own desires onto, uh, uh, we project them yeah. as something that is the standard for everyone.
0: So seen I it on can both enjoy sides, this. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. I like I that. Um, and I didn't project it per se, but I was I was talking to you about this where it's like, yeah, like I haven't been to a church service that I really, truly like enjoyed from top to bottom. Um, I think in over two years, like it's been a long time. And like, there's certain things I enjoy about a service, but it's been a long time since it was like, man, that just from top to bottom was amazing. And one of the things that I was, I was thinking, I was like, Oh, I get why so many people in our generation are like, nah, churches, like how can anyone enjoy this? Um, and even though that's just a projection, I'm like, Oh, I totally see how you can say that. Um, because you would immediately be like if this is boring for me how can anyone enjoy this but someone who grew up in that tradition would they enjoy those rhythms and yeah music is a great way to do that because like even in the non-christian world like everyone has that like I have friends who are um like big fans of hip-hop and they're like I don't understand how anybody can enjoy like folk music or um like country music like, I don't get how you can like that like it's, oh, it's it's this that and the other and I'm like well a lot of people do because it makes a ton of money and then on the flip side i've seen people who are um like classical and they're just like i just can't stand like you know uh uh, a dubstep i know it's an old reference but like or tropic house like i just can't stand it and i'm like well you know that that's it's similar like the closest thing to a fugue we have is like dubstep or tropic like it's a, it's a musical statement followed by X, Y, Z, and they're just like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, you, you're projecting your enjoyment on other people. I think the other place that I see that a lot is in food, specifically for Adventisms with the, the uh, a veganism is the one I see a lot. And you'll see a lot of people being like, oh, well, it's because you do health and health and health. And it's like, okay, God might be convicting you about that, but he hasn't convicted me yet about that. And beyond that, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't an issue that's salvific. No, it totally is. It's a sin. Like, I had, and I won't give a name, but I had one of the one of the main, when I was an undergrad, one of the main Ellen White people come in and say, oh, coffee's a sin. And, um, and it immediately turned me off to her. Like, and one of my, one of a, a family friend is, like, good friends with her. And I was like, no, I don't like her anymore. Like, period. Like, anything she says, I'm not going to pay attention to because I'm like, that might be a problem for you yeah it might be a sin for you but it's not a sin unless god says to you "Ah, this really isn't good for you just because ellen white said "Eh, it's probably not good for you if god hasn't said that to you that's you're projecting even ellen white's statements about it onto us as a group as a whole a group so yeah like you you do that and i think we do these things because it's a self it's a self-defense mechanism first off um have you ever heard about the the uh, I can't remember the syndrome, but it's like the baby the the hurt chick or the the wounded chick syndrome. No, I haven't. Like um, baby chicken, not like yeah. not like Instagram girls. Although it does actually work for Instagram girls as well. Um, <laughs> so if there is a, a, a I don't even know a, a flock of chicks born. I don't even know what you would say. A group of chicks that are born at the same time, hatched at the same time. Um, if one is deformed or weak in any way, all the other chicks will gang up on it and peck it to death and kill it. Um, and it's a, it's like an instinct. It's a biological instinct. It's not even something because that one will bring down the rest of the group and there's a whole thing behind it. But the other thing that we found it, that, that happens in society, which is why I said it it actually works for Instagram girls. Um, they found with with children in school, they will do that. Where as a group, they will find and latch onto and purposely pick on one of these kids because they sense a weakness, and they go, "If they are picking on them, they are not picking on me." Even though, if nobody picks on anybody, you don't. Ha- you know what I mean? Like, there's another yeah. option out there. It's kind of like the Thanos, right? Like, I have to destroy half the earth. Or use or, that incredible power to make food. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. Like <laughs> you can make more food with that, but he's like, nope, I gotta destroy everybody. That's the only solution. But that is that kind of thing of that that's your own fears and problems, which that's a great, right, projection, right? Thanos. Yes. If there are any of you, this is gonna be nerd. I finally get to nerd hey. out.
1: Yes. Thanos true.
0: seeing the destruction of his own planet, then assumes that the only way to avoid that for the rest of the universe is to destroy half of the universe. Rather than saying, stopping and saying, is there any way, rather than dealing with the pain of loss and the fears that he has, which in the comic books, he's just an evil dude. Like it's, he's not doing this for a good reason. Like they, they made him sympathetic in the movies. Don't fall for that.
1: to be fair, they did a great job. They did a of great job. That. of. Oh, no, no, compared, no. That, compared to what he is in the comics, they did a fantastic job.
0: That translated better on film, I will admit, because it, it, he becomes one dimensional as a character if he's just a dude who likes to court death, um, yes. which is how they actually started it. He kind of started as this big daddy and then they like switched it. Anyway, now the point. But it's that idea of he's projecting his own fears and insecurities rather than dealing with it and being like, this is why my society went bad. This is how we can avoid it. He's saying, nope, the only way we can fix this problem is this. Um, And we see that, I mean, in society so much. This wall. um, I'm going to get a little political for a second. First off, I just want to say anyone who thinks a wall is going to stop Mexicans and Hispanics from coming into this country doesn't realize they're already building tunnels. Like the majority of people who come across are coming through Canada, and the secondary is that that they have tunnels. Yeah,
1: have you not seen? Fa- has has no one seen Fast and the Furious? There's no. a whole tunnel chase like, scene dude, in the border. And that that was t- and and like Fast Twelve and Furious, years ago, and Fast and Furious is a documentary. Yeah, so I don't know. No, like, it's a why real. F- I-
0: all those things really happened. Um, <laughs> hashtag Paul Walker. Hashtag too soon. Um, I'm still using hashtag. I don't know what I'm doing. But that's the reality is like it's a self-defense mechanism. So I don't have to deal with my problems and nobody else can see me. If I project this onto you, now I'm – you're the one with the weakness. You're the one with the fear. You're the one with the problems, not me. And I don't have to take a deep look at myself. Um, it's not the only way, but I think that's a big reason why people do that.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think um, I, I think there's there's another side to this too – where uh, we, we do this with with illegal immigrants in general or immigration in general, because we'll say, oh, you uh, <laughs> we'll, well, we'll say that illegal immigrants are the cause of all of our problems. They bring a whole bunch of crime over here. They they you know, they do all of this stuff. And then we and then you look at any given um, a statistic on crime and Americans are arrested and uh, and prosecuted and and everything else over. Uh, over crimes at a much higher rate, especially the crimes that we accuse illegal immigrants of, or even legal immigrants of, for that matter, right? Tucker Carlson's in the news right now uh, because of, uh, not like literally, not like he's in the news because he's a news anchor, but he's in the news because he's being talked about, uh, because he's become this big shining beacon for white supremacy, because he talks about not just illegal immigration, but immigration in general as a
0: danger. That was a really good segment about that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I've actually seen this happen, too. Now, here's the other here's the other self-defense one. Ready? We will like we we will use projection as a tool uh, to accuse someone else instead of acknowledging our own our own thing. And black on black crime is the uh, perfect example of this where white people for for and, and I was one of them. So I'm not saying like I am a white person, but I'm saying I'm one of the people that used to do this. And saying, well, if you look at, you know, uh, if you look on black on black crime, of course, you know, why, why are, why is racism the enemy when black people why don't you look at yourselves? And we tell them that they're projecting their own communities, uh, crimes and issues onto racism as a whole. And they're deflecting. So they're using racism and social justice as an excuse to not deal with their own problems. And it turns out if you look at those statistics in their context, then yeah. you actually find out, oh, Wait, no, there's a different story being told here. I actually remember I was sitting in a conversation. I was sitting in on a conversation once where someone tried to make the point that, you know, uh, it's not because, you know, black people are arrested more because there's a problem where uh, black families don't have as many fathers in the home. There are more fathers in the home. I've heard that that a lot. Yeah, there's more fathers in prison, and it's actually it's not the color of your skin that makes you more inclined to crime. It's actually uh, the lack of a father in the household or the lack of a parent in the household. And he made that that statement, and he said, "Well, and it's just fact that there are more black fathers in prison." I heard that. I heard that he's like, "And and it shouldn't be that way, and it, it sucks that that's the case." But like, there are more black people. There are more black fathers in prison, so it makes sense that now there's more crime from the black community. And the and I love this the response. <laughs> From the other side of this conversation was, yeah, because you guys put them there like (laughs) it was this idea of, well, if they're in prison, who put them there? Uh, And uh, so it was this it was it was a really interesting thing where, yeah, we use projection as an accusation as well to deflect from having to deal with our own issues. Um, And so self-defense is a huge thing and it's super subtle and it takes a whole ton of self-awareness for us to get to the point where we ask our, and, and, and I think it takes, I think it takes asking ourselves and going, Hey, am I projecting here? Am I guilty of doing the same things or am I seeing some of the same possible trends? And this is why, like, Every single self-awareness thing I ever say on this podcast is predicated and absolutely relies on there being present, a true biblical community in your life. yeah in other words, yeah. people that will hold you accountable and call you out when you won't call yourself out that is, like straight up that's what it takes um and and so if we cannot rely on ourselves to call us to to call ourselves to accountability, we do have to have people around us that can speak truth into our lives uh, when we're trying to avoid it. So that, yeah. you know no, I, I, still,
0: I I we were we've been talking about like what you know the reasons to stay in church a lot kind of recently and like to me that's one of the big reasons it's not because like church is supposed to help with that like and if it's not all right then we need to discuss why it's not but it's like yeah. no 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 like that's exactly why you should be in a church family because like they can do that. They can look and see and, and get that perspective that you lose because you've never there's a comedian who jokes about this. And he's like, I've never seen somebody talking about drinking at a, at a house party. He's like house parties. People get way more drunk than at a bar. People always the trope is people get super drunk at a bar. He's like, there's maybe one person, but other people can cut you off in a bar like other they know you're there it's i you know at a house party you can just drink yourself you're your own bartender and he goes i've never seen somebody cut themselves off too soon he's like i'm just seeing somebody go oh self you've reached too much self like (laughs) we're cutting us off and and i'm like oh that's such a good point like a lot of times we don't have that perspective um and so we we just kind of get into an echo chamber and we and we hear ourselves or even people who agree with us. Um, and so we go to a church that, you know, we'll, we'll have people that won't call us out. Or we yeah. don't go to church because we're like, well, they just they keep calling me out. And I'm not saying that people need to call you out all the time. Like, those are people, there. there's very specific people that should be calling you out. You know what I mean? Like, people yes. you've if, given permission this... to. We've discussed that a lot of times on this podcast. But it's one of the reasons to have that, like, have that community um that's not just going to do that in a in a like that's going to happen a little bit on reddit and other places but those type of people aren't there to specifically make you try to grow and church is supposed to be there to make you grow as a christian like that's the community we're supposed to have and i think the other thing talking kind of on the flip side about that where where church can be a problem is that a lot of times people use projection as a means to control people um to keep them in line and to you do what I want, because I need control out of my life, so I'm going to control you by projecting this on you, and I think that that's that is a negative that I see a lot in church, a lot in well, the in and, the Christian community,
1: and I think that segues perfectly into the flip side of projection as a whole see projection i i I was a little bit misleading in our operative definition because I wanted to pull this twist out, but it's not just about uh what's bad for me it's bad for everyone. We also use it as a form of what's good for me is good for everyone. And so we do use it as it as control, and we we use it as a tool for control because we project our need for control onto others. but what we do is we say, these things are necessary because they were good for me, and now they must be good for you, and you must conform to what was good for me in order for you to be saved. Uh, this is what we do with the service. I was thinking about it, man, if you've ever sat in in when someone take when a traditional church takes offering and the deacons walk down the aisles, they hand out the buckets, or, you know, the offering plates. Then they take them up. They stand at the back. Everyone stands. We all sing, uh, "Uh, you know, all creatures here below, or whatever, or praise God from whom all blessings flow." That's what we. That's what we sing. As the deacons approach the altar, and then we pray, and then they hand the the plates off. And it's like, has anyone ever thought about why we do that? No. Someone was just told at some point this is how we do this, and uh, and then we ascribe. A holiness, or we project a holiness onto the tradition or the logistical nature of the behavior instead of why we're doing it, and it turns into this mess of okay, you must do it this way, or it is not holy.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: And and we do this with
0: burn every, everything down.
1: What we do, and when we use it as a tool to control, pastors do this a lot too. Um. What we're doing is we're treating tradition as God ordained, and we are projecting a a a, a God sanctioned thing as something that is uh or we're treating something that is man-made as a God-sanctioned thing, and it's not. And we confuse the line between the two so often, and it it's no wonder people get tired of it, call us out on it, and walk away, right? Like, it's absolutely no surprise to me why people see that, and they want no part of it, because it's super obvious
0: if you're not the one doing it. Like, super obvious. Yeah. I th- i think also we we tend to do that, and I'll say on the flip side, um, pastors also tend to project project vision, onto a church, and I I am very careful about doing this, where a pastor will come in and have their own personal vision or personal um, issues that they are going through, and they'll be like, everyone must be going through this. We're going to do an entire sermon series on this. And it's like, um, I don't think the majority of our church is going through this. Yes. I think you're going through this right now. And that's like like, i hate to say it but like i've been to some sermons where it's like that kind of seems like a personal problem to me like why uh hmm why are we talking about this every single time like we're like we're supposed to be talking about ezekiel how did we end up on veganism again like just that you know as a joke but like it really is like i i I've seen that happen a lot. Or they'll come in and be like, this is what the church needs. We need to be church playing. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. And it's like, well, you're projecting a lot onto this community. You don't even really know that community yet. Like that and might I, not be what the community yeah. needs.
1: Uh, and I've seen it happen too, where uh, we do this with, uh, pastors have done this too. I've, I've been guilty of this. One person says something, and we think everyone uh, represents that opinion, right? So pastor, people are saying, or some person has come to me and told me this was a serious issue. I believed yep. them and said, "Okay, we
0: need to fix it."
1: Well, no, most people didn't actually the, the care.
0: The curse uh, of the of the loud minority.
1: Yes, so that that's been something that's happened too. Um, so projection is huge. It's subtle and it's this this massive enemy that affects individually and affects corporately uh, our lives, and and, and it's it's really sad too. I think this is why we have dying ministries. Like you have a church with pathfinders running or a youth ministry that is dying. And the only reason that it's still running and we keep funding it is because the person running it was like, was adamant that we had to have it because it was good for them. Oh, well I came up through pathfinders and it saved my face. So we have to have one no, what was good for you was good for you, and I'm glad it was, but that doesn't mean that everyone else has to go through it, or we have to use a ton of money when there's one person in Path, when there's one kid in Pathfinders.
0: And that's it's not a bad reason to do it, but it's not the best reason to do it. Correct. Like, it's not a good reason. It's it's a reason, but it's not necessarily like, I want to do it because this was passionate to me. I'm like, cool, you're passionate about it, but don't think that it's going to change every kid, because... Those are also, you know, we, we talk a little bit about setting unrealistic expectations. I go, a lot of times when you do those projections in the positive sense or to control, um, you're setting unrealistic expectations that aren't going to be met.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I, think, uh, I think it's been one of the, mark, the marks of a mature Christian is someone who in board meeting or in any sort of conversation says, hey, is what we've been doing for all this time still effective? In other words, is this still worth doing? Someone who's willing to question the, uh, you know, why or what uh, or if we should keep doing something, uh, I think that marks a lot of maturity and self awareness to say. Uh, and, and then I will say it. It marks it, but what proves it is then their willingness to follow through on that question. Uh, I think some people ask that as a way to once again project this idea of. Uh, I'm confident and I am mature, but then if you actually challenge them and push them, they'll go. No, we need to keep this. So uh, it, it is they're asking that question with ulterior motives. But we projected onto preachers too. Oh, this is this is my favorite, Tony. You'll love this because uh, I didn't tell you about this one. I just have it in our notes. I just have it as preachers. When a preacher does something bad, let's talk Bill Hybels, Willow Creek. All these accusations come up on Bill Hybels and of, of, of sexual harassment. And all of a sudden, all these men and women come out of the woodwork going, well, Bill Hybels in the eighties or the nineties or the early thousands is who converted me to Christianity. There's no way he could do this. There's no way he could, you know, he's such a good preacher or he's, you know, he was such a good pastor. We do this with abusers. We do this with pastors who lie. We do this with pastors who embezzle to protect them from and protect ourselves. And so we project, once again, what was good for me onto the current situation and refuse to hold people accountable because it was good for me back then. There's no way that's changed now. And so we let pastors walk and get away with a whole
0: lot of stuff just because they were good. They're a good orator. Or Or even that at one point in their life, on their journey, they were good. And it's like, just because they were good at one point doesn't mean they can't fall like yeah people can change
1: no absolutely and that and, and like that's that's a that that actually is an important point too in that someone is capable of doing bad and good at the same time and I, I, I think we 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 like to think well if if there's no way God would let them preach a sermon and uh and while while secretly abusing women or sexually or, or you know or raping someone or assaulting someone and I'm like have you looked at Christian history like at all
0: I I mean it's right there in the Bible like you have like this is the one I always go back to Balaam like Balaam is blessing Israel and he's a prophet of God and he's still blessing Israel's enemies at the same time and giving Israel's enemies alright so technically I can't curse Israel but here's how to beat them like you can do good and bad at the same time and he knows that's not good like he knows that this is um, God's like like people, you know what I mean like i I don't know, yeah, like i'm I'm with you on that where it's like really, 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 yeah, no, and and it's so easy to do, and I get why we do it because the other the other
1: side of projection is this, like, can we just be honest, the other side of projection is you don't want to believe that something was alive for so long, if you have believed something your whole life. If you've been taught that this is the way this is, whether it is with a pastor that you've loved, that has preached amazing sermons and has completely transformed your life with the insights that they had into Scripture, right? You don't want to believe that that person was a terrible person because you don't want to be duped. You don't want to admit that you were duped. Fully fair. There are a whole ton of people that if I got caught in some scandal or Tony got caught in some scandal, they would go, those guys that host absurdity? No way they would like they were they've been they've said so many things that I resonate with and they've talked about all these serious issues. How could they fall to this? There's no way it's true. Um, and to which I would say, if I'm ever accused of something, I would hope it's not true. <laughs> uh, and I can't think of anything that I would be accused of currently. No, but for reals, like it, that's one of those things where we don't want to be yeah. duped. We don't want to feel like we've been lied to our whole lives. And so we dig we double down. I, I love yeah. that you you talked about that with me. We yeah. double down. Because we want to defend ourselves. We want to control the situation. And we want to, uh, and honestly, we want to put the blame
0: somewhere. Well, I mean, you see this in society perfectly with Louis C.K. and that whole situation. Um, Kevin Spacey to a degree, but Kevin Spacey kind of never admitted he was a bad person. Like, Louis C.K. built his entire career around being... This lovable, I'll say curmudgeon, for lack of the word that he uses and accurately describes him, um, but isn't really a cheesy word. He, he, you know what I mean? Like, he's this very flawed person, and he admits it, and he's very open about it on stage, but because he's doing it in a humorous way, people are like, oh, that silly guy. And then it comes out that he's doing these terrible, terrible things that are not okay And people double down. Like he comes out, and he doesn't even really apologize about it. And then, and then he doesn't really take time. And then, like the whole point, they're like, the whole problem was that he was. And for those of you who don't know, um, like basically he was forcing women to watch him masturbate. Um, and like he asked their permission, but he was in a position of power. Like it was a whole thing. And even though like some girls might have enjoyed it, which somebody said, oh no, it was fine, or whatever like a lot of these women were not okay with it. And yeah. the whole point was you're, it's a control thing. Like you didn't give them the opportunity or the chance to really say no. And then he shows up randomly at a, at a comedy show. And they're like, you have learned nothing. Cause again, you just showed up and give, didn't give the people there a chance to say no. Like that's the same problem and people doubled down on him comedians doubled down on him fans doubled down on him like instead of saying like this is not okay like louie you need to back up they double down and now he's just kind of gone in the left and they just keep like they've gone on this train of insanity and they're like well i've already gone this far i'm just gonna ride this thing out and it's like he's doing kind of these worse and worse things and it's like or people are saying, like, this is not okay. Why are you defending him? Look, it's not okay. And it's because if I stop now, I have to look at the fact that I was okay with him doing this horrible thing. And I can't do that. So I'm just going yeah. to double down. And we do that a lot with pastors. Uh, I, I, You know what I mean? Again, it's that idea of I don't want to admit that I was duped or that I don't want to admit that me laughing at this horrible thing wasn't okay. Because then I have to feel bad, and I have to look at myself, and I have to observe myself instead of just saying, "Oh, it was a good time." And it's like, no, it's never okay. Um, one of my one of my favorite moments uh, when
1: I was a theology major that that ever I ever experienced in class was
0: it was, was Doctor Tryon. It was when I was rubbing your beard, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, but also, it was uh, it was in <laughs> Doctor Tryon's class. And uh, theology majors are the worst about this. Let's be, let's oh be honest. My gosh. Theology majors are the worst about what I'm about to say. But
0: no, we no, do no. This, just, just the worst about this, period. The just yeah. anything. Anything we're, were the worst. worst about this. But yes. Quite literally, yes.
1: No, but I also see this in Adventist, uh, Adventist Bibles. I see this in Bible studies, too, all the time. Uh, unstructured Bible studies, where uh, we manifest ourselves, we, we manifest our opinions, and we say, you know, I just think we need to do this. And it's the insertion of the word we. It's this idea of uh, your idea, you're casting, if the church would just do this. And Dr. Tryon called us out and he said, okay, look, I'm tired of this. (laughs) He was like, if you're going to make a statement about what you think anyone should do, you are not allowed to say we, the church, or any form of any word other than I or me. He was like, if you're going to open your mouth, the only thing you're allowed to say, and and say what you think we should do, you have to say I think I should. So I, I, you know, I wish the church were more loving. Instead, you need to say I wish I were more loving. Yeah, I I wish the church would take a stand against illegal, you know, against immigration or, or you know against uh, whatever. Right. I'm gonna be fair to both sides of of the coin. I wish the church would talk about immigration and, and protecting our, our our inside. I wish I would. I wish, um, like, own your beliefs. Stop putting them onto other people and own yeah. them. Because yeah. then you can actually
0: dialogue about them.
1: As long well, and, as as and, long as it's
0: all mm-hmm. the people out there that are
1: wrong, nothing
0: will change. Thank you. And beyond that, it was this thing of like, oh man, I wish the church were more friendly. Well then why aren't you for like you're the church? Oh, like beyond pass- even the fact like it was that idea of like not just passing the blame, but like removing yourself from the equation of like, no, 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 no. Like, have I not chosen you? And I think he specifically mentioned Gideon. I can't remember. Was that um, Christian spirituality?
1: Maybe. It was, he said it in multiple classes. Yeah.
0: Um, but I remember talking like, and he brought up this idea of of like, have I not already chosen you? Like God is, cho- if, if you're feeling the, the burden on that, God's probably chosen you to be the solution.
1: You know, there's a... Tony, you actually have a perfect example of this, and we've talked about it before. I don't know if you've talked about it on the Uh podcast. Visitation.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Remember when when members would come up to you and be like, Pastor, you haven't visited me in a while.
0: Well, yeah, like, okay, so I got to talk about my idea. Okay, so my concept, when I talk about visitation, I'm talking about the specific where the pastor goes on rounds every week. And my thing, like, we were told at... um, When we were at uh, uh, Southern by almost every professor like that's the number one thing 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 um like that was the number one thing all yep. the time and I remember
1: actually a student came up to me once and was like hey so you're a pastor now right uh how soon after you got into your district did you start doing visitation
0: yeah like <laughs> and, and it's like okay so to me i that doesn't work in um if that's all right. And I will say this, if that's your personality, by the way, if you're a visitor, if you're a social guy who wants to get out and meet people or like a church planter, that's great. Um, go for it. Like if that's your strength, I'm not knocking that as your strength. It's a tool. But that is one of the ways and I have seen, and I have spent a lot of time around pastors. That is the, one of the number one reasons for burnout um, is visitations because yep. it takes a ton of time and you're going around and it's time you're away from your family. You can, uh, board meetings and and committees are another one. That's another big one. But you can hand off committees, right? No one really says anything. Maybe you have to chair a specific individual, like a specific meeting, but you can hand off a committee to somebody, you know, an elder, a deacon, even, if it's a low enough, you know, committee, and and just be like, hey, you chair this. I don't need to chair this. Um, And it's actually, in my opinion, smarter sometimes. Sometimes you have to. Uh, But if you have a strong elder, it's smarter to do that because they're going to be there. You know, you're probably on the move. They're going to be there for a while. Um, And they know the context, and know, the people better. Anyway, point being, you can't really hand off quote unquote visitation. So I would have members come up to me and be like, well, I haven't, you know, like, how come you haven't been around? And I'm like, oh, are you lonely? Who have you visited? Mm. Mm. Like Mm. we have 300 members on the books, 200 that actually attend like 250 that would attend we were pretty decent we actually had 80 percent we had a pretty decent percentage but i'm like we have a ton of people if you're feeling lonely go visit somebody like if you want me around because you're dealing with something that's a different conversation like i have training to help where other people don't but if you're just lonely go visit somebody well you're the pastor and you're a church member like my role isn't Yes, you want to get to know people, and this is where a lot of people well, you can't until you get to know them. And I go, we have social events, we have Bible studies. We, have. I was in that building almost seven days a week because of they had a school there, and I would teach a class. And so somebody would be like, "Well, oh, I never see you," and I'm like, "Well, I'm here every day. Where are you? Where's your responsibility in all of this? Why is it? Why is the onus on me to go out? And beyond that, nowadays it's impossible. Try." Try to just show up at a millennial's house. First off, yeah, they're ahead. probably out eating. We don't, millennials don't cook a lot. Um, and second, I don't off, even have
1: any groceries in my fridge right now or in my house. I have nothing. I have seasonings and that's about <laughs> it. I legit have nothing. And part of that's because I'm going on a trip this week and I don't go grocery shopping right before I'm about to that, be out of but town.
0: Millennials travel a lot for jobs. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, legit. Like, that's the thing is that a lot of times, we struggle trying to find uh, jobs that work with us or or whatever or or visitations uh, because we're either in school or we're moving around or we're not used to visitation. And so it's like back in the day, you could almost get away with doing the visitation because it's like I'm going to visit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm just going to go and meet three people or four people today and four hours a day you can do that i could do four hours but i'm like it's a whole process with millennials and and yeah. forget you know uh, uh gen uh gen Zers, any any really meta modern anybody that came after gen x like it's and even gen x like 40 50 year olds like it's kind of hard to visit them too um so because they were latchkey kids like they're not used to that kind of always having food ready in the home so like it's a difficult thing and so that's my whole thing is like well where's your responsibility if you're lonely go visit somebody and they would come in like oh the elders need to do better to visit and i'm like no the elders need to do better caring for our people we need to create a culture of visitation because if we're going to be a church like to me and this is my own personal thing like god wants however many people in your city to be Adventists, not Seventh-day Adventists, but Adventists, ready for his second coming. If we believe our message, if we actually believe the things that we talk about, if certain large leaders high up in the administration actually believed it, then we would be like, we're not okay with 20% growth. I was in a town of 60,000 people. We needed a plan to reach 60,000 people. Like, How do we reach 60,000 people? Because that's the amount of people God wants us to reach we can't, the pastor can visit 60,000 people. Like we have to create this culture if you're going to think bigger. If you're cool being a 50 member church and that's all you really want to do and you just talk about evangelism and growth, you don't actually want to believe it, then yeah, have the pastor visit everybody. But if you actually want to grow, you have to create a culture of, and that's well, an idea of projecting the responsibility and the blame on leadership rather than owning it. And we do that back. My thing was we, like, oh like, oh man, my church would grow so much if they would just catch the vision. And it was like well, looking back, I was like, Oh, why didn't I like I didn't give the vision? Like I didn't project yeah. it well enough. Not project it, I didn't present it well enough yep. so that people could catch it. Like the problem wasn't with them, the problem was with me.
1: And you and I have done this on this podcast several times. I can oh, think yeah. of, I can think I can think of uh I don't like church that episode just four episodes ago. Oh yeah. Uh, we talked about churches being bad at young adult ministry. We talked about you and I haven't been to every church. <laughs> um, and sometimes I've been, I think we, we've been in the Southern to, union, pretty close. Okay, like yeah. we've been but to like, a lot. But, okay. But that's my point. Then we talk about yeah. the division as if it's all yeah. the South. Um, right, yeah. but there's, there's, and there's this idea of, okay, well, they're bad at, they're bad at the form of young adult ministry that we like, yeah. but actually there's a lot of young adults that are in their churches and they're perfectly content and happy with what's happening. Uh, and
0: the, I, oh, I wouldn't say that the numbers don't show a lot but yeah it's 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 a lot is like a lot is a
1: general number i'm yeah. not going to say there's three thousand of them or ten thousand or whatever i'm just gonna say there there's, is, there's yay, young seven, adults seven thousand like, who have not like, bent the knee okay but that's my point we say we yeah. project what's good yeah. what we think pro- young adult ministry should be we think every right. church should do right and there yeah. are young adults sitting in church going actually i'm i'm fine with what my church is doing yeah. i don't yeah. I don't need your thing. So why, what makes your thing better than my thing? Is it yeah. the numbers? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure Jesus said narrow is the way, uh, and yeah. few there be yeah. like, so there's, there's yeah. this, so it, I'm, I, but same deal, but th- then they do it to us too. I get it. But yeah. like, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, everyone else is terrible for projecting. Cause we've never done that. No,
0: like we, do but that, on this we podcast totally do that yeah. all the time. But <laughs> I think that's the other thing about projection that a lot of times you, you, it happens because you only know your experience. Yes. Um but I to me I think also be careful with the line. There's a difference between projection and um um oh gosh, I just had the word where it's where you like take the data and you make a um educated guess, but there's an actual word for prediction? it. Prediction? Yes, prediction. Um There's a difference between that. Like, when you look at the data and you say, okay, this is what is showing, we can accurately summarize and predict, like, this is what's happening. We can make a projection for the future. Yeah, we can either make a projection, like, I'm not projecting that the church is bad with young adults. The numbers are telling us the church is bad with young adults. But that doesn't mean that every church, like, the difference is me saying every church is bad with young adults versus there's something wrong. And we need to fix it because this is what the numbers are saying. Yeah. Um, like I, like the difference between a pastor saying we need to pick, um, we need to pick a sermon series based on what our people are struggling with, and I'm struggling with this. Everybody must be struggling with this. This is what we're going to be preaching on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and sitting in Bible studies and and things like that. Like talk to your people. No. What is, what is it that you're struggling with? And sometimes you can kind of know for them. I'm not saying that everyone has their own answer. Sometimes you can kind of see and be like, this is what they're struggling with. But the the, the difference is don't project what's you on them. And the, the difference is like the motivation to me, it's also it. I grew up in a church that struggled with our youth and young adults, but had was like close to a church that did well with it. So I grew up in a decent system. Um wasn't great but it was decent but then there was a lot of problems and people and so where i was at if i were to say well, these other all the churches in this conference suck because my experience and i don't want people to look at my church then that's projection but if i say look growing up the majority of the people that i grew up with are no longer in the church yeah that's prediction that's you know that's that's Summarizing just and evaluating, that, like, that's just analyzing. Yeah, yeah, that's analyzing, and it's like, look, this is an analysis of the data. Like, so you do. Like, sometimes you need you need to be careful, but the other times it's like, well, this is a problem. Um, but don't remove yourself from that equation. That's the difference. Like, yeah, when you're well, removing yourself is, from it,
1: I think this is a good point to end on to what you're talking about because yeah. I, I, I think uh, we can lean we can lean too far the other the other direction on projection. We think it's so bad that we stop dreaming. About what the church could be, about what we could be, about the things that we could do and accomplish. Um, I, I heard it said that uh, the difference between conservatives and liberals is that uh, conser- in the church is that conservatives or traditionalists see the kingdom of God as something that is coming, whereas liberals or progressives see the kingdom of God as something that can be partially realized here on earth now. So, like we talk about kingdom living now, and um, I've heard it said that way, and it's obviously an overgeneralization. But it's, it's, it's kind of this idea that sometimes we let uh, our beliefs stop us from dreaming about what we could be, about who we could be, um, and um, I think progressives do the same thing, um, even though that overgeneralization still exists. I, you know, I think we can all do the same thing. We're not saying that every statement you make about what the church could be or should be or has done is wrong. We're not saying that you're wrong for holding it. I just think so, there's a place for self-awareness here. Um, but we should absolutely be dreaming together yeah. about, I, I love, uh, Joel too, where it's, uh, you know, your young men will dream dreams and your young women will, 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 uh, see visions and, and, and this idea that we, um, uh, I, I, I was listening to a sermon, uh, by Tim Gillespie yesterday, which is kind of where this, this whole term came from. Uh, and it was this idea that you know, not everyone's called to be a prophet, but you are speaking prophetically whenever you are dreaming about what the future could be and look like for the church. Uh, In the same way that the prophets would always call out, like, if you do this, we would all be good. (laughs) If you would repent, we would all be good. They're dreaming and they've been shown by God.
0: This is the problem.
1: They've been shown a reality by God that could exist for the people of God if the people of God would do X that's what they've been shown. Yeah. And so they're talking about those and it's the same thing. We can dream and be hopeful and 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 optimistic about what the future can bring and what and what we could make the future working alongside God. And uh and sometimes I think we we would also err on the side of letting our projecting or our fear of projecting stop us from those big dreams, stop us from making predictions and stop us from the prophetic reality that even Seventh Day Adventism, especially Seventh Day Adventism, has been called no, to.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I I, I think that that's a, an important thing is don't don't use it to tear down. If you're using your vision to tear down, that's the problem. But mm. keep dreaming. Like if if you want to project something positive into somebody's life like not what's good for them not as a way to control not as a way to tear them down but if you're like dude i can absolutely see you being incredible help them realize that vision because again you're not removing yourself from the equation you're putting yep. yourself in there and that's the that's the other key with dreams is that if if you're seeing something that can be most of the time you're passionate and you want to see that and you're going to get involved like very rarely do i see anybody who's really like passionate and has a vision for something and then it's like this is so amazing for that guy over there. I'm going to sit down and wait for like normally it's like how can I make this happen? And and if that's happening in your church, like don't don't hate on somebody who is projecting because that tells you more about them. Just know that that is happening and be self-aware so that you're not doing it, but then also don't be afraid to have visions and and dreams for the future um and but just make sure to keep yourself as as part of that solution. Absolutely.
1: I think that's a great place to end, so I'm going to cut it there. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to Absurdity. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode, got something out of it. Uh, you can find our contact info down in the show notes. It has both of our Twitter handles, uh, has my email, um, and you're more than welcome to reach out with any sort of feedback. As is tradition, negative feedback goes to Tony, positive feedback goes to me. Yeah, um, That way uh, that way, I always think that I'm doing great. Um, it's just a way to feed my ego, really. Um, Thank you guys for listening, and, you know, if if parts of this episode were uncomfortable, we apologize. It's just us being real and honest. That's what absurdity is about. Um, So... Uh, we hope that, you know, this was something that could benefit you. If you want to donate and support us financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. Uh, all patrons get ad free episodes and uh, $5 or more patrons get bonus episodes at least once per month. Uh, Tony is working on some awesome interviews where we're diving into kind of personal stories and and journeys um, and sharing those and uh, any extra seminars and teachings that we do will also be uh, available there uh, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcasting app, Spotify. A lot of people are listening to us on Spotify currently. Uh, so thank you guys so much for your support. Without you, there is no absurdity. Uh, we have some awesome goals and awesome things coming in 2019. We really want to hit an average of 2,000 downloads per episode. Uh, we're regularly breaking 2,000 now, but I want to uh, I want to hit that as a, the average by by June. So share this with a friend. Let people know that this is happening. Now, we love you. We thank you so much for being a part of this. Tony, I'm so glad you're a part of this as well. Um, It's so cool to be doing this alongside someone that I I consider really a brother. Uh, It means the world. So um, thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.